0: i India Bastian
1: and I'm Aubrey Calvin and this is Southern Queries,
0: exploring all things LGBTQ in the South. <laughs> oh, you, <laughs> <laughs> De- <don't> Yes. Yay.
2: <laughs> hey. Hi. Hi. How's it going? It's going good. I'm very excited to see you guys. Hi, Aubrey.
1: Mila it's nice to meet you.
2: Nice to meet you too. I feel like technically you guys have met. Technically we met before. at the wedding. Yeah well, yes, the online we wedding. did. But well, yes. we didn't get a chance to speak unfortunately. Yes
1: that's right. I'm like okay. Yes we have.
0: Welcome to Southern Queries. Today I have Mila. Um, I'm actually not sure if I know how to pronounce your last name correctly. I always say Viasana, and then I'm like
1: mm. that's right. Yeah. Villasana,
0: right? I'm going to back that up. (laughs) Welcome. Today I have Mila Villasana. She is a Mexican illustrator and designer currently residing in San Miguel de Allende, Guanajuato, um, in the heart of Mexico. As you guys know, I've talked about it a lot. It is my hometown. Uh, Mila was originally born in Cuernavaca, Morelos, and spent her early years in Taxco, Guerrero, Raised in the green mountain air and liberal progressive atmosphere of Burlington, Vermont, she harnessed a love of art, nature, and eco friendly practices. Oh my God, we could have a whole episode just on that, Mila. Just saying. I know. After living in the US for over 10 years, um, her migratory status limited her opportunities to pursue higher education within the country, and she returned to her native country of Mexico in 2009. She works as a published freelance illustrator and you can find some of her work under her Instagram handle, kiwifish. Mila, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me.
1: Welcome to Southern Queries.
0: I'm very excited. Um, I feel like I've been talking about having, I said this in our previous guest with olive but I've been talking about having Mila on the show for like ever, partly because <laughs> for those who don't know Mila personally, or to hang out with me a whole lot outside of the podcast. Mila's one of my besties. I talk to her all the time. <laughs> um, and we met, I want to say like six or seven years ago, at SantaCon in San no. <laughs> Yeah,
2: yeah. What is SantaCon? A- SantaCon, I mean, uh, the version of SantaCon in which we met was basically a fundraiser um, organized by the organization that I used to work for the Mexican Audubon Society and basically it's just a fundraising activity during Christmas or the holidays where everybody dresses like Santa Claus and they go on a pub crawl or a, or a cantina crawl in this case um, and it just so happened that that year I dressed up as a reindeer and, every, and in the sea of other Santa Clauses I looked across the room and saw Another adorable reindeer who was now my new best friend, India, so. (laughs) So Aubrey, Aubrey, picture it. Both Mila and
0: I are the only reindeers. There was one person dressed as a Christmas tree. I dressed her up, yes. Um, And um, I saw a Christmas tree and a reindeer. And from across the bar, I don't know Mila. I've never seen her in my life. I go, what? You! (laughs) <laughs> and we both, like, run to each other's arms and jump up and down, and we're, like, so excited that we found another reindeer. That yeah. was
2: our first meeting. And then the rest and of And the- hilariously, the second time that we actually got to meet each other again and actually, like, exchange contacts and really get to know each other, um, we didn't recognize each other at first because we didn't have reindeer makeup on. So sure. yeah,
1: without the reindeers, like, y'all are strangers. Like-
2: without the antlers, like, how are you supposed
1: right? to
0: know? She <laughs> strangely familiar and I did that thing as you know Aubrey I saw Mila and I was like do I know you I just like walked up to her and I was like hey I've never seen you before who are you Mila was
2: like
1: I don't understand "Uh, that I don't I don't don't get that that's a weird concept
2: thank God for extroverted friends because as introverts would never we we would never have a chance in this world no it was
0: cute it was cute we herb, like drawing and anime and being bicultural, bilingual, and mm-hmm. shorter than other women at the party.
2: <laughs>
1: I <laughs> like to That's refer cool. to
2: it as fun size. Yes. Yeah.
1: That's the same <laughs> thing my wife says is that she's fun size.
2: Solid. Yeah. It's solid.
0: So My first question that I wanted to ask you, Mila, Mm -hmm. is I'd love for you to tell us um, how you identify and your Mm -hmm. pronouns, Mm
1: -hmm. um,
0: and why are
2: you so excited to be on the show? (laughs) Sure. Um, So my pronouns are she, her, and I identify as um, bisexual or pansexual, you know, whatever works. And um, I am excited to be on the show. I mean, not just in terms of the personal aspect of it, which is that, you know, my best friend is producing this and, um, and I've been listening to it for some time, but also just because I think it's really, the, the whole concept of being queer in the South, and correct me if I'm wrong, the way that I perceive it is just like, acknowledging that community and inclusion is a thing that is very scarce in the South and being able to listen to a podcast that has all of these great stories about queerness and about queer people living in environments where it's not necessarily prevalent to be gay and out and be commonly accepted and I think that that's super important and I think that that's something that south of your border here in Mexico is very relatable and very necessary so yeah
0: so I totally want to touch on the controversy of the difference between being bisexual and pansexual
2: yes
1: because you say whichever works but is there a context about when you use which term
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's something that like I've heard you guys talk about on the podcast before, but I think that there's, for for starters, there is something to be said about the audience in which you're presenting to. So when you're talking to people that are not within the queer community or really know much about the queer community, it's just a lot easier to just introduce myself as bisexual, just because it's, I don't really feel like I need to go into the explanation of what pansexuality is and things like that. And, and also just in terms of representation, I feel like bisexuality tends to be stigmatized within the queer community. Um, So I want to continue being a representation of that. But in reality and in its truest form, I feel like I identify more so as pansexual because um, I personally don't really have an interest in people's gender when I am attracted to them. My sexuality is not based on somebody's gender but rather their humanity. Um, And it's something that I've grown to realize over time uh, with meeting new people, with meeting, meeting new genders that, um, or, or with meeting people who identify with different genders that I don't, my sexuality does not, is not determined by their gender. Um, so I think that within the queer community and when I'm talking to other queer people, I, I comfortably say that I'm pansexual, but as a whole, in the way that I present, I say that I'm bisexual.
0: So for our listeners who might not know, what are the terms from your knowledge? Mm -hmm. What does bi mean? And what does pansexual
2: mean? I guess from what I understand of it or or my understanding of it thus far, because I feel like every year you level up in your queerness after you come out, it's like a thing. Um, so in my current understanding of it right now as a, as a baby gay, um, is that bisexuality means that you are attracted to both men and women, uh, and pi- pansexuality means that the gender of the person does not um, determine your attraction towards them, and then that makes it more inclusive in terms of people who are non-binary or trans, and it allows for those people to also identify within that sexuality.
0: Love it. I love it. I feel like um, there's a lot of grumblings of bi people who feel like they mm-hmm. should be able to flow in between both bi and pan and maybe mm-hmm. bi is an outdated term and pan mm-hmm. is actually more an upcoming, newer term. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really fascinating also because the flags are different. Um, yes. And some bi people use them and, and interchangeably like you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people argue that they're both one and the same. Um, but Mm -hmm. Aubrey, what do you think? Have you heard different terminologies on both bi and or pan?
1: I have. I think this is one of those issues where there have been so many different definitions and the question I always have is who gets to be the authority on what's the correct definition because I've heard bisexual being I'm attracted to my own gender plus other genders. I've heard bisexual is, I'm attracted to men and women. I'm attracted to bi, meaning two, meaning two or more genders. I've heard pansexual being, I'm just retract, I'm attracted to people regardless of gender identity or sexual orientation. I'm attracted to people just based on the person, regardless of how they present. And I think it's just, there is no official naming commission or governing body that has given that gets to determine the exact definition so we're all trying to figure out the best terms that we're comfortable with
0: yeah i mean if you think about it there are like who also governs what the flag looks like like i don't know if you guys (laughs) but i will add the link in our show notes but there is a very extensive amazing um, website that talks about the history of the lesbian flag and where it's originated from and what the meaning of
2: the colors in the flags. And how was. it's changed over time. And, and how it's changed right. over time
0: yeah. and who has credit for building um, the, the flag and all that jazz.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm also really curious on like the bi flag versus the pan flag. And mm-hmm. I'm always curious to hear um, people who identify that way their own definitions and what it means to them because really the person who gets to govern their own
2: label is the person. It's the person goal. who identifies <laughs> with it. Yeah, you know. So I, I think that it's it's interesting because I feel like within the queer community we are all championing this um uh this movement away from the gender binary. So I feel like part of the reason why there is so much stigma around bisexuality is this idea that like, it's, it's actually very similar to like discrimination against femme lesbians is this idea that being a part of the gender binary is so basic, and we're so over it, and we're moving away from it. And it's it's old fashioned and colonialized mentality. And it's not you know, It's not something that we want to be living in anymore, which I agree in, in a lot of ways. I, I definitely am on board with that. But at the same time, I know that queerness is not about erasure and that this movement that is trying to move away from the gender binary is about acceptance. And that acceptance means that we're not trying to erase femininity and masculinity, So early on, when I believed that I was bisexual, it was because I, up until that point, when I was an even smaller um, (laughs) gaby, I thought that I was only attracted to very feminine women and very masculine men. So I thought, okay, well then that means that I am bisexual. I am in in one spectrum or the other. And then as I grew into my own and as I started meeting other non-binary people, I realized that that wasn't the case at all, that I, I could be attracted to anybody. Um, and, but I still feel like within our queer community, representation matters and allyship matters. And that for as long as people still identify as bisexual, we should be willing to accept them. Um, and in and it of itself, when we're talking about wait Time out. <laughs> my Alexa app. <laughs> reminds me when I need to eat because sometimes I work for so long that I forget so Alexa is like right now being like here's a reminder dinner time (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is Thank you know. mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have mom here, so you know. I should probably do got.
1: that. It's actually it's a good not. Idea. It's
2: not a bad idea. Like I've noticed that it's really helped me. I forget with, to like,
1: eat like breakfast, and I forget to eat like lunch, and then it's
2: yeah, I like I lose track of time, and the next thing I know, it's nine p.m. and I haven't eaten since like twelve that afternoon. Like I, you know, it's 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 handy, but I apologize. Um, no, it's
1: fine. You're good. <laughs> I mean, I can kind of go in with what you were saying. I mean Mexico is such a very gendered society in terms of mm-hmm. norms culture in terms of the Spanish language very gendered yes how do we navigate queer culture in a Latin American context
2: yes i mean that that definitely affects us tremendously and i think that that is something that at least for me personally, it has affected me in terms of the way that I present and the way that I have embraced my queerness. And, you know, the reason why I came out as late in the game as I did in my life is partially because of that, because I grew up with with a Catholic father who was, for the most part, very open-minded, but at the end of the day, he was a Mexican Catholic man. Um, And even if I was living in this like beautiful liberal utopia that is Vermont, um, I was still being raised by Mexicans and within the Mexican culture. So it definitely affected me. I can't personally speak eloquently enough about the limitations of our language and how that affects non-binary folk. I know non-binary folk that have tried to navigate that and have, you know, presented new pronouns and have tried to really adjust to the very gendered Spanish language as best as they can Um, and I find that fascinating and I'm still learning about it and I still want to learn about it Um, so I, I can't speak to that but I do know that as far as gender norms are concerned I mean I grew up with a dad who was afraid that he was going to, quote unquote, turn me gay because he was raising girls to be tomboys in his family. Um, And I have two older half sisters who are his daughters, and one of them is gay. And when she came out, my dad immediately thought, well, then that's my fault because she's the one that I hang out with the most. (laughs) So it means that I like turned her gay by taking her camping, you know, just these very outdated ideas of what gender is and and what the expectations are of women in Mexico are just very cemented in our culture. And and I think that that might've to some degree also been a subconscious way in which I identified or related to my attraction to other women as well. Um, the fact that in the beginning, I thought that I only liked women who were feminine. You know, where did that idea of femininity come from in the first place, if not my upbringing and the world that I lived in? So yeah, I think Mexico definitely, definitely shapes that in, you know, that inner homophobia that many of us have before we are brave enough for confident enough or comfortable enough or safe enough to come out for sure. So on
0: that note, <laughs> what is your coming out story?
2: Um, the funny thing is, is that I don't necessarily have one, um, which is fine, because I feel like we need to kind of normalize that a little bit. Um, I think that when I realized that I was gay, I treated it as a very matter of fact thing where I just sort of transitioned slowly into being like oh yeah I do like girls as well and it's not just an experiment um and I just didn't really have this like announcement or big realization or anything like that necessarily and I'm technically not out to my parents necessarily I think it's one of those like they know but they don't know um because the entire time that I have been out, I haven't lived in the same place as my folks. And that is a conversation I would like to have in person.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: I, I'm i not out to my dad, and that's really important to me. And that's something that I'm slowly building towards. I'm, I'm teaching him some stuff about feminism and queer rights first, and kind of prepping him before I actually say, hey, I'm bi. Um, it was like, but, set this up with some stepping stones. I am, um, I am totally grooming my dad into like accepting me. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked my therapist, who is also in the queer community, and I was like, "Is this manipulative of me?" And he's like, "No, no, no, you're fine. Do whatever you need to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's all good." Like, okay, good. So yeah, so I don't really have like a coming out story necessarily, or or at least I have. I haven't um, finished my coming out story because I, I think that the thing that I've been learning with just hearing other stories of queer folk is that our coming out doesn't happen in one fell swoop. We have so many different steps within our queer stories. Also, it never ends. It just <laughs> never ends. What you I look think. like, it never ends. <sighs> that, is, that is very true. That is very true. <laughs>
0: Um, so I guess my follow-up question to that is, um, what does your boyfriend
2: think? (laughs) Um, my boyfriend, I mean, uh, he forgets that I'm gay most of the time because it's not something that I actively talk about a lot. Um, he has said in the past, like it's, you know, it's a non-issue and, um, and he's like, well, you know, it's cool that you like the same things I like, <laughs> the way that he put it. So, um, yeah, I think I think he's been curious, and I think that he has been very open-minded in terms of learning about queer culture, and over the past three years that we've known each other, he's been slowly more willing to ask me questions, even about things that don't pertain to me directly, like trans issues and non-binary issues. Um, so that's that's been pretty cool.
0: I love it, I love it. So yes. I'd love to hear from your own perspective, because we also asked Alia Marquez, um, a good friend of mine who's in San Diego, mm-hmm.
1: um,
0: about her own perception of where and how the queer, how is the
2: queer, can't even speak,
1: Mm. Uh, Yes.
2: (laughs) The queer climate of San Miguel? Thank you. Basically,
1: yes. Yes. How is the queer climate of San Miguel?
2: Um, We are in a drought, folks. Uh, (laughs) 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 Like, I would say, I mean, I can only speak for myself. And, like, I don't want to discredit the organizations and the people that have tried to... um, build a queer community in san miguel because i know that that's been a thing um i know that there's like Colect- colectivo 41 i think it was called
1: mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. um like so like that. i don't want to discredit those people um but i would say that i don't necessarily feel like there is much of a queer community in san miguel and i think that a lot of that has to do with misinformation within gay people in San Miguel, because we live in this environment that is very conservative and Catholic and binary. Um, And I think that that's kind of a product of that. Because there's definitely queer people in San Miguel, I know many of them, but we don't gather and talk about queer culture. And I feel like when you grow up or when you're in environments that are very Um, conservative or homophobic, you tend to think that having a queer identity is a bad thing
1: Mm. and that you don't
2: want that to be your identifier. So why would you hang out with a bunch of other queer people when that's not the only thing that you are? And it's unfortunate and it's very detrimental in terms of allyship, allyship within our community because we don't get to know each other's stories and we don't really get to know how we relate to one another. I mean, I feel like one of the, one of the things that I think about in terms of building a queer community in San Miguel, because I hope to, I hope to do so when the pandemic allows us to be a little more social. Um, And I've had conversations with other gay friends about this is that it's, it's a matter of feeling um, safety and feeling acceptance and just allyship. Um, I would like to think that at some point in my life, if I do come out to my father, that I will be able to deal with that in a community of other queer folk that understand what that was like after I have that conversation.
0: Um, Uh, Bringing a sense of belonging, I think, is a big one. And I feel like you and I talk a lot lot about finding our own place and sense of belonging because we have such different backgrounds. Um, For context, for my listeners as well as Aubrey, the thing that I find constantly fascinating about my relationship with Mila um, is She's Mexican born, but raised American, where I'm like American born, raised in Mexico. So we have mirror images of our intersectionality. Mm-hmm. And we also happen to have like a shit ton in common. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, find I find myself gravitating to a lot of the same things that Mila is doing or saying because our foot, we both have one foot in each country. And we have a lot of commonalities on like, and uh, I guess the other thing that's really interesting is like Mila has Mexican parents, whereas my primary parent, my mom is very American. So I understand the concept of having a Mexican dad because that's how my dad is. But her mom is Mexican, whereas my mom is very American. So, but Mila has been exposed to Americanized parenting. So she also sees and understands it. So we have all these different understandings. So. I, I feel like you came out to me in a very matter-of-fact way, you just kind of like just were like yeah whatever and I was like wait what? <laughs> um, and it was just like a flow into conversation but having that additional layer of intersectionality onto your queerness and then being in San Miguel where there isn't a sense of belonging can be really startling and then on top of that add the lack of sense of belonging that people think like Mila looks very Mexican whereas I look more American comparatively and we're constantly battling with people judging and having all these different bias not thinking you're enough yeah not thinking you're enough you're too white you're too brown you're you don't have an accent you should have an accent in going back and forth and then on top of that you don't look gay enough or you you know, it's great that you don't look gay and you are constantly being code switching uh, over and over again. So it could be such a huge relief and safe, uh, giving a a place of safety, but also a sense of belonging, which is very hard to find when- Mm
2: -hmm. And I think that, well, I mean, touching on that idea of, um, you know, having different identities in terms of, of, of your culture, you know, being bicultural and being gay were both sort of transitions into like awakening of, of, of my own persona and who I am. Because I think those 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 two happened around the same time, my acceptance of, of my Mexican identity as well as my acceptance of my own gender and of my own um sexual orientation, they were all kind of coming around around the same time. Um, a lot of it is a decolonized structure of, of who I was versus who I am now. And it's interesting to, to come to that place of just, as a, as a queer person, you're constantly grappling with a sense of belonging and a sense of how you fit into society. And that is ever changing and constantly progressing. And the more that we have representation, the more that we have community, the more that we're able to do that. I, I connect with India because we are bicultural. I connect with my boyfriend because we are bicultural and I, it, it strengthens those bonds. So having a queer community that understands those things are not self-isolating events that have happened in your life, but there are things that have happened to all of us and that there are commonalities as well as an openness to just be whoever you are and express yourself however you want. is a, a, a very necessary thing in order to just function in society and, and and for your own mental health and for your own well-being and growth. I mean, I think that that's like one of the things that I, I think about in terms of my queer identity is is my friendship with you India because I feel like you're kind of my gay, gay godmother in a way like I feel like there's so many ways in which you've educated me and there's so many ways where like I remember one time you told me like oh you're like queer as fuck dude and I remember you saying that and feeling like that was like a badge of honor like I feel like I elevated that day I was like that's so cool. I didn't identify that way at all, but yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and it's just like I, I've I've talked to other gay people in San Miguel and I've realized that they have a very limited understanding of queer culture sometimes. And it's interesting to watch that happen. I had a conversation with a gay friend of mine and I told her, we don't have a queer community in San Miguel. And she said, yes, we do. And I'm like, no, not really, dude. Like you and I are not a part of like a queer community. And she's like, yes, we do. All of our friends are gay. And I'm like, honey, I don't think that you understand that there's a difference between everybody is a little bit gay, quote unquote, and people who actually identify within the gay community. And thinking that because one of our best friends is a little bi-curious, that that does not a community make. and I think that, there, that, that there's this, I don't know if it's a discomfort or a complacency or a little bit of both that happens within this very Catholic conservative environment where we're just like, well, I'm out. Like, that's good enough. What else is there? But, you know, I'm having this conversation with this lesbian friend and I'm telling her about bisexual erasure and she had never heard of it before. Wow. And, and now she's more empathetic about it. So it's, it, it, it's a matter of, 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 of having a certain, not only sense of community and not only a sense of belonging, but also like, like I said before, allyship. Um, it's this idea that you can have compassion through understanding other people that just because being gay is not an issue for you and that you're out here in Mexico and everything is fine, that doesn't mean that there aren't any issues that we need to fight for or stories that we need to hear or support that we need to provide to other people. Well, I think one you of I the- mean- Go ahead, Aubrey.
1: Well, you mentioned this idea about um, just more stories that we need to hear. Uh, you know, so I came out around, the, I, mean, I came out as trans about the same time as uh, Caitlyn Jenner came out. Um, mm-hmm. And that's about the only thing we have in common Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But I will say, Caitlyn, Caitlyn Jenner's interview helped my parents understand more about my coming out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there any type of queer media representation that maybe (laughs) is helping to expand the conversation? Or is there anything on TV, movies?
2: I, music? No, I don't think so. I mean, well, I feel I, like we're slowly correct. starting to. And I know that you know a little I'm bit about I'm yeah. la- I mean specifically Mexican,
1: yeah. not I'm specifically Mexican, not Latin American, yeah. because there's a lot of Latin American representation. But mm-hmm. I'm asking specifically Mexican mm-hmm. representation.
0: No, I actually had this conversation with Milo not long ago, but about two years ago, um, a soap opera. Uh, known as a telenovela in Mexico mm-hmm. which is like our bread and butter every <laughs> Mexican person has to watch a soap opera in the evening and memorize the the like theme song and they then name their forget. children after
2: the characters
0: like it's intense it's most of in the telenovelas that I think of off of the top of my head in the past 20 years will have one token gay man mm. And they're usually hyper
2: flamboyant,
0: and flamboyant. caricatures of them. They're so. usually a hairdresser, and they are wild, like widely accepted. But gay it's, women. Okay,
1: that's the same as like black, black gay com like black comedies where it says the black gay sassy hairdresser, but that's about it. Yeah, from the nineties, yep. early two thousands. Okay, okay, Correct. keep and going. Then, yeah.
0: Um. Two years ago, right about, my other really great friend, um, my maid of honor or my dama de honor, Marcela, introduced me to um, this soap opera that came out on TV Azteca. And TV Azteca would be an equivalent to, I don't know. um, DC? Yeah, maybe DC or like uh, a big network, huge network. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's the only network um, (laughs) in Mexico. Um, that had a side story. They weren't the main characters. It was a side story within the bigger theme of the telenovela of a lesbian couple. It
1: was both really? great
0: and annoying. And the reason why it was great was because they didn't die. Spoiler alert.
1: That's good.
0: It or was, get
2: canceled, or yeah, or get canceled. Know. It or was hypersexualized, hopefully.
0: Sort of the reason why it wasn't great was because they were both feminine of center lesbians and had zero representation of community.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but it was the most incredible thing to watch and in fact someone out there on the internet cut the rest of the soap opera out and only focused on the story of the lesbians and you could watch the entire subplot throughout the entire soap opera um on YouTube for free. Ah,
1: see, that's smart, see.
0: Very cool. But it was definitely groundbreaking and huge and they and then just last year there was a lesbian couple on the cover of Gente which is like people magazine equivalent in mexico um having a baby and it was both awesome but problematic it was problematic because the women who were having these babies um were white jewish descendants so they looked very american like i could have picked up that magazine and covered the title and you'd think i'd be picking up you know gay par- a lot of whitewashing in day. mexico as well huge whitewashing so much colorism um, and it was great because for the first time ever in the year 2020, we had a lesbian couple on the cover of Gente, which yeah. to me blew my mind, and it opened up the conversation. Of course, when you look at the post on social media, it is drowning in hate. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. a lot of religious hate. So I don't blame women or trans people not speaking up I almost feel like Mexico is 20 or 30 years behind
2: yeah I, yeah I was gonna say that it's definitely one of those things where like our progress is slow and you just in and it of itself when it comes to women's rights and when it comes to female autonomy within Mexico I mean you um could be prosecuted as a murderer for having an abortion in the state of guanajuato there are still femicides happening constantly all over the country uh, there are laws that are really backwards when and, and super religious when it comes to custody of your children
0: Ooh,
2: um, or time. being a mother or you know just there are so many ways in which we're still really really behind the curve unfortunately so in and it of itself, having queer representation in our media is is still is still something that I don't foresee happening anytime soon. Unfortunately, um, it would be great if that would happen, and I think that that's that's a big step forward. Is just having community and open community within you know towns like our little town here in San Miguel. It's just it it, it is something that definitely involves safety and it definitely involves um acceptance within an otherwise very catholic conservative country in general um so you know and, and, and we're starting to see it you know we have a we have a gay pride parade in mexico city that i missed the last one and then the second one was canceled
1: because of the pandemic yeah it's interesting Um, that you both mentioned you know the strong conservative catholicism as part of that culture mm -hmm. and just like in leading up to this interview and uh the conversation we had a few days ago uh with our other guest um brain freeze on your her name oh my god Ali, Uh, Ali. yeah, I mean, it's like, Ali, Uh, the southern Mexicans uh, with the indigenous community seem to be more open to the idea of being trans or having a third gender as part of their indigenous culture. Yep. And I I find that interesting that north-south kind of split there.
2: Yeah, I mean, we definitely, you know, you can look at any country that has been colonized. <laughs> <laughs> that was you, not me.
1: No, there's that colonization part of it, though. It's like with the yeah. look like the religion, absolutely the European religion being thrust upon yes. indigenous peoples, and now we're still dealing with that cultural, that that cultural yeah. output. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, you can definitely look at any um, any country that has been colonized, and each of them have their own unique story of how they were colonized, and specifically in Mexico. The way that our colonizers nationalized this identity of Mexico versus Spain and eradicated or attempted to eradicate um, indigenous culture by just mixing us, by just mixing with us. Instead of, instead of like in the North, where they were, you know. just wiped wiped out native americans wiping them out we created this whole other national identity which is the mexican identity which is mixed and so when you look at the the map of mexico as a whole and i'm no expert on this at, at all but but just just knowing the the surface level history of mexico the states that are in the south still have um indigenous cultures and that they they still have indigenous groups of people that are heavily influencing the culture um and but at the same time the mexican identity is one that is mixed and all of us have a little bit of indigenous in us we don't know what kind of indigenous we don't know what flavor of indigenous but we just we have it And it's a mix between that and our Spanish colonizers, which is why part of the reason why we have so much colorism as well.
1: Colorism, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: So So, um, there's definitely like that difference between, and and, and I don't know if there is any influence on that. And I would love to read something about that. um, If there's any influence in terms of our proximity to the United States and how that informs the colorism, but I wouldn't doubt that that there's a lot of northern mexican people that are also a little more mexican american Uh, when you look at the states up at the border culturally speaking and 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 physically speaking they're a little more mixed and i think that that also and 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 we are like right up against your south
1: but so but in this north but the northern mexico is also the where you had that forced separation where we literally okay. split cultures and split towns through the Texas revolution and the Mexican American mm-hmm. war. We yeah. literally split a culture over yes. politics. And mm-hmm. I think that's such a big issue. Yeah, We split whole sure, communities that. and whole families apart yeah. just because of politics. It was,
0: yeah. um, I guess my last question for me, I don't know um, if, uh, you Aubrey have more questions but I'd love to know what you think our listeners should know about being queer in Mexico I think that uh, no
2: <laughs> just kidding that's, that's <laughs> a loaded question <laughs> um, I guess I guess uh, in terms of of uh I would want people to know that the Mexican identity is just as complex and diverse as the queer identity. And that we still have a long way to go in terms of how we embrace both and how we grow and um, accept each other. And that the queer identity in Mexico is very weighed down by this Catholic conservative colonized identity of Mexico as well. And that there's still a lot of awareness that we need to have about violence against queer people, violence against trans people within Mexico, um, misconceptions about what trans sexuality and third genders are in Mexico. And that this is something that hopefully within and thanks to the allyship of others and the representation of others, we are able to translate to Mexico. Because Aubrey, when you asked earlier, like what media is coming out of Mexico that is representative, there's also something to be said about the fact that Mexico is heavily influenced by the United States culture. yeah, And that the representation that you guys have up there is just as important to Mexicans as the representation that we have within here. So I guess what I would say to like listeners in the States is like keep representing, keep talking, keep sharing your stories because the stories that you are telling are educating us just as much as the ones that we're telling each other and they're helping us in moving towards the right direction.
0: Well, and I I do think another thing to point out about Mexico just to add to your statement is there is a little bit of, queer community happening but it's very privileged um mm-hmm. there is a couple festivals that happen either in our hometown or even in mm-hmm. Mexico city or some like fancy beach towns but you mm-hmm. have to be relatively financially well off to afford tickets to travel there the events cost money so i am seeing um like i'm on this discord um community group of queer people in Mexico and I remember thinking first of all who the fuck knows what discord is in Mexico one two you have to have a computer
1: internet you didn't do discord
0: in order to access these things so if you don't have these things you're already targeting your audience to be more middle to upper class in Mexico yes Um,
1: yes yes so
0: I do think that the little movement that we're seeing, especially in the lesbian community or, um, you know, trans community or gay community is privileged. And it still has to do with that whole concept of how obsessed we are with colonization
2: and <laughs> skin color.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, that is very yeah. true.
2: Like in and it of itself, like the, the, the notoriously gay neighborhood of, um, of Mexico City, the, what, what's it called, um, Rosa? Yeah, La Zona Rosa. with Zona Rosa. To the pink zone. The pink zone. kind of love and hate all at the same time. <laughs> which is, yeah, it's like, it's sort of this like, kind of poking fun of, but also adhering to this idea that pink means feminine and therefore gay men are inherently effeminate and therefore their section of the city is going to be coated pink. Like, it's, it's a very binary, icky way of looking at it. But that area of Mexico City is kind of nice. Like, if you walk down it, it's, like, you know, kind of bougie. And there's, like, really pretty restaurants and shops. And it's, it's expensive to be yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. at the same time. It's, like, a little bit of both, yeah. But it's, like, it's nowhere near the outskirts of Mexico City and what the rest of Mexico City looks like, and if you are a trans person walking down Zona Rosa versus a trans person walking down the outskirts of Mexico City, you're going to get treated very, very differently. Um, It's, It's almost like, and
0: correct me if you think differently, Mila, but it almost feels like if I was an openly out gay man or a trans person walking in San Francisco versus being a an um, uh, openly gay man or trans person walking in downtown um, Chicago or Texas. Oh, Texas, there you go. There you go. You would have yeah. a very different experience. So that's kind of very how I compare like la zona Rosa versus the rest of Mexico. Also like Mexico City is a massive city. But it's then you huge. know yeah. rural towns in Mexico where there's clearly gay people, gay women, trans people and they have nowhere to go and nowhere to congregate. And I think what happens when people like Mila and I, when we're like, hey, where's the community? They're like, I don't know what that means. They don't even know how to build it because they've never seen it.
2: Right. Um, Right. In and of itself, asking for a community is a privilege in itself because asking for a community is asking for, for people to be comfortable with visibility. And that is something that I can definitely say as a straight passing woman, and as a cis woman, I don't get to complain about not having a community in that regard, because it's very easy for me, because I don't have to be afraid of that level of violence the way that other people within the queer community could have. And you know that 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 is a privilege that we need to acknowledge the the ability to just be yourself in a catholic conservative country that has a lot of violence still against queer people is a privilege asking for that kind of visibility is is very much a privilege
0: yeah and it's a lot a long way to go people (laughs) no yes all right so i want to um um kind of Wrap up our little podcast there, but I know that um, Aubrey has some additional questions.
1: Aubrey? No, I think we're at a time. I think we're good. Yeah. No, I
0: know. I meant, but on a personal level, because Mila's my friend. If you have something to go do, Aubrey, we uh, I'll tell you about it later. But if you have nothing else to do, go ahead and ask her.
1: I didn't. Do I?
2: <laughs>
1: I don't know. I don't uh, think I do.
2: I'm an open book. <laughs>
1: I don't think I do
2: I mean I'm a huge fan of yours because I heard
1: why podcast
2: about <laughs> your story we, well I heard the, the podcast that introduces I'm you sorry
1: that's the not story. the right that's not the not right uh, response worries. thank you no. I guess is the word
2: is no what I'm supposed to be
1: saying I'm like why? I
2: mean I'm, I'm happy to tell you why I just think that's that like, when I heard your I, story I just thought it was so like uplifting and inspiring and you
1: know your family
2: uh, it was is really a cool I follow your wife reaction. on social
1: media well she's, she's the adorable. outgoing extroverted one she's the popular one
2: yeah. I just post
1: pictures of coffee and tea <laughs> and the things that I'm writing and the go. things that I get published that's about all I do so she's the outgoing one okay I did have a okay so um I you both did this thing called corseted community And you you said it was inspired by uh, Frida Kahlo, who is Mm -hmm. Mexican artist, probably the only bisexual Mexican that Americans will ever have heard of, which tells you how limiting our knowledge of Mexican culture is, Like, Oh, Frida Kahlo, bisexual. We know her, we could put her on Jeopardy, but we don't know anything else about Mexican culture, which is just the ignorant American stereotype. What? is what well, is or was the corseted community and how did you all get involved with that
2: uh well the corseted community started um th- through my introduction to my dear dear friend um tess Hausam, mm-hmm. and she is this um artist and um community organizer and um this genius writer who um has a company called uh, I what it's called. What is it called? Um Exquisite, Exquisite Corpse Company. Yeah, Exquisite Corpse in New York City. And she and I met through a mutual friend and she told me that she wanted to write this immersive play about Frida Kahlo in her life. Uh, so what her company does is that they do these uh, theater productions that are immersive, where they take you through um, a, a physical space as well as a, a, a written play. And she wanted to do it, but she was also very self-aware. And she said, you know, I want to do this, but I want to collaborate with a Mexican female artist because I don't, as a white woman, I don't want to just speak for Frida Kahlo. Yeah, and, yeah it's
1: good though.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, so she and I started brainstorming, collaborating, and she came up with this brilliant idea of uniting other female artists of different mediums with um, this installation piece uh, called the Corseted Community. So the installation piece is a um, corset made out of gesso of different women's torsos and then on the outside of the torso, we would paint our um, or, or, paint or collage the, the, the things that we face in life, sort of like armor mm-hmm. um, and the things that happen to us or the things that matter to us or the things that we're fighting against and things like that. And then on the inside of the corset, we painted it our artistic identity and how that expresses itself and Then um, Tess and I hung it up in this sort of um, chandelier-like structure that you can enter so that you can look at the, the torsos from the inside and from the outside and really get to know each of the women through this cast of their torsos, which is what Frida Kahlo started with in terms of a canvas. She had a horrific accident and was having to be confined to a cast on her upper torso that she then started painting as a way of therapy. Um, so that was the inspiration to create this installation piece. So that's how it, it happened. And then I invited- I, would I, would say, I was just recruited by Mila. That's how I got involved. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who do I know that's an artist and a woman and is interesting? Here we go.
1: <laughs> so we found yet another talent of India's. No, Another indeed. one.
2: Did you not know that I
0: do art?
1: No, I know you did art, but you never told me about this. Oh. No. I do no, a I lot of do. art. It's hard for me. I know, to know. you do art. Like, I know you do oh. art, but you never told me about this. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. To, oh, very it's fun cool. To That's awesome. Yeah. yeah I no. Know. I never told. You never told me about this specific project. but I know you did art. I yeah. you knew you were an artist.
2: Yes. Well, and, and the corset community is ever growing. So we are still welcoming forces from other women. Um, and a lot of the artists that we have are not uh, just visual artists. We had musicians and writers submit pieces as well. Um, and it's just a matter of, of, we want to hear from different women in different representations, and um, and we have them submit their casts. It's a very cool project. It's really, really that's
1: very cool. That's, that's, cool. that's very cool. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: Tess Tess awesome check her out. She's very well. Cool. cool.
1: I will. Thank you.
0: So the last thing I wanted to add was I realized your Instagram handle is Miss Kiwi Fish. Uh huh. <laughs> Kiwi Fish. <laughs> that is correct so if you want to follow Mila find her on miss kiwifish
1: m-i-s-s kiwifish yeah so
0: thank you you for being on the show we're so excited to have you here I'm sure there's going to be more um talks but also you were wearing your hair down and so I felt like I had to wear my hair down and I realized both you and I have really long hair because COVID and I'm like (laughs) wow look at that we actually have like similar hair
2: we do that's never happened also I see that you're taking care of your curls and I appreciate that because I'm trying to do the same I'm trying to nurse my hair back to health
0: I was you know wearing it in little curly bun things because it was really hot out and now I'm going to go ride my bike that's what I've decided I'm going to go do nice
2: I'm going to go cough my my lungs out because I've been holding in a cough for over an hour now. oh
1: (laughs) no well (laughs) You can find more information about this episode and the show at our website, southernqueries.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Southern Queries. Queries is with two E's. Until next time, thanks for listening. Some credits. Production. Your
0: hosts, India and Aubrey. Audio mixing by Allison Hawley. Story research, Aubrey Calvin. Editing, India Bastien. This is Seven Queries.